Colossians chapter 4. And if you're able to, let's stand together as we read a few verses and then get into the message. The first verse is actually uh, the ending of the verses that are mentioned in the end of uh, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 22 is uh, some instruction concerning uh, the way servants are to obey their masters according to the flesh and just some attitudes that we should have and those that that we serve. Uh, Whatsoever you do, verse 23, do it heartily as to the Lord. And then in chapter 1, or chapter 4 and verse 1, he says something to the master. So verse 12, he says, servants, this is how your attitude should be toward the master. Chapter 4, verse 1, masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now for those of you who may not know, the division chapters that we have in our Bible, the chapters and verses, were not in uh, the Bible in its original Form. Those were added later to kind of make it easier to read, understand. So they're not inspired of God. They're helps put there by men. And sometimes you wonder, why did they put a break there? There's one of those places I wonder, why did they put the break there? But I'm sure they had a good reason. They broke up a context, really, about servants and masters. But the point that we want to deal with begins in verse 2. So if you'll give your attention to Colossians 4 and verse 2. Uh, It says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all, praying also for us. Keep in mind, Paul is writing this epistle to the saints there in Colossae. uh, Praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. Here's the missionary Paul writing to a church, a congregation of believers. Pray for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So we're going to look at this passage here, verses uh, 2 through 6, and spend some time really looking at some encouragement about this matter of prayer and our personal prayer lives. I, I don't know about you, but there, there are several different areas, disciplines of our Christian life that I never feel like I've even begun to reach the full potential, and one of them is prayer. No matter how many times I've read about prayer, studied about prayer, spent time praying, I still feel like there's a whole lot more uh, to be addressed. And I'm sure many of you feel the same way. We never arrive in our prayer life. I think you'll find the, the uh, request from Paul to be certainly relevant uh, tonight. So let's pray and ask God's help once again as we study. Father, bless our time in the Word. We thank you for this miraculous book, the Word of God how it speaks to us, how it teaches us, admonishes us, encourages us, and sometimes reproves us. But we want to grow in grace, so please bless our time together in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
So let's look at the passage tonight. And the first word in verse 2 is continue. And Paul is asking them to continue in their prayer. Keep your, keep your Bible open there to Colossians 4 verse 2. So to continue in prayer. We're to continue in this matter of having a life of prayer. And I think, I have to assume that most people are like me in many ways. And one of the things we do sometimes is we'll, we'll recognize that our prayer life is not as much as it ought to be, not as disciplined as it ought to be, not as focused as it ought to be. Or we'll hear a sermon about it or a lesson about it. We're reading some scripture like this scripture and we feel like, man, I need to get this, I really need to get this down. And then we find ourselves just keep going through that. Well, Paul reminds us here as he's writing the Colossians that we need to work at maintaining a life of prayer. Um, Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1 that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Faint means to give in, to give up, to become less than diligent. So we need to keep praying, seeking the Lord, asking God for his help, be vigilant about it. Paul wrote to the Thessalonican church and he said this, pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean you never stop praying for a moment. It just means that we stay in an attitude of prayer, always being mindful that God wants to hear from us. God wants us to talk to him. He's our father. Jesus taught us about prayer in the gospels when he says, after this manner pray ye our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We ought to relate to God as our Father, and we ought to seek Him often. And so we need to be continuing in prayer. Romans 12 says, continuing instant in prayer. I, I, I take that to mean be always ready to pray, continuing instant in prayer. And our text mentions something else in verse 2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So the word watch means to be attentive to to be aware of, to be alert about something. So praying should always include thanksgiving. Now, again, I, I think we ought to be reminded of this periodically that prayer is more than just asking God for stuff. We have a tendency to do that. God help me, help my, you know, help me on the job. Please, you know I'm sick, please help me. You know what I'm saying? We just ask God, for, nothing wrong with that. You know, Jesus taught us again in that model prayer, we ought to ask him for his will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. God wants us to pray about these things. Pray about the current situation in our country. We need to, we need to be seeking God about stuff, fam, things we go through as family. So we're, but that prayer should also include thanksgiving. That we're, and thanksgiving is not asking, it's giving. Thanksgiving. It's giving God thanks. It's giving God praise. You know, if you, if you listened to, uh, to a lot of media, if you listen to a lot of news, if you listen to a lot of people talk, you get to thinking that really we've got it really bad. And I'm not saying they're not problems, but in a way we've got it really good in this country. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Plus we're saved. Or, or Most of us, we say, I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. God is my father. Heaven is my home. And uh, we have a great Christian family. God's worked in our lives individually. And so when our prayers ought to include a, me a measure of thanksgiving. You know, when was the last time, young person, you just said, God, I want to thank you uh, that I have a Bible. And you say, well, everybody has a Bible. Truth is, a whole lot pe more people in the world don't have a Bible. 
than those of us who do. Thank God that you have a Bible. Thank God that you have heat to warm you in cool nights. Right? Like tonight, sitting in here, I feel it. Um, so we ought, to, we ought to include Thanksgiving. It's easy to forget about that. You know, it's, it's, imagine, this is hard to imagine, but imagine that you were God, the eternal God, who gives us all things to, to enjoy in this life, and he's given us so much. He gives us air to breathe. He gives us health. He's given us his word. He's given us the forgiveness of sin. He's given us his own spirit to indwell us, to guide us. He's given us so much. If we never spend any time just saying, God, thank you. You've been good. Now, this is not a message about Thanksgiving, but it's just in, Paul is saying continue in prayer and don't forget to be thankful for it. Thanksgiving is a part of worship. It's an attitude of gratitude that we ought to have, and it's an important part of prayer. There's this, uh, since we're in the neighborhood, hold your finger here in Colossians and turn to the left a little bit, just a couple of pages, to Philippians chapter 4. It, we see the same uh, combination of praying with thanksgiving. Philippians 4 and verse 6 be careful, full of care. That's not talking about just being cautious. It's also talking about being worried or fretful or anxious, having a lot of care. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about things. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with what? Thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So we're to pray about it, but he says, with thanksgiving. Our prayer should be mingled with thanks. It's not just making requests. Now, I'm not going to take a survey tonight, but I think if I took a survey, most people would say this about praying. First of all, I know I don't pray as much as I ought to. Well, the Bible just said there in Philippians, pray about everything. And our text in Colossians says, Continue in prayer. Always be praying. So most of us would say, I know I don't pray as much as I ought to. I think most of us would say that. Should I go ahead and take the survey? No, I'm not going to do it. Um, and I think most of us would also say, when I pray, I feel like I pray a whole lot about asking for stuff and not enough about being thankful. Right? I think most people would say that. So this, this we begin this text here in Colossians by, by saying that it's a request for continual prayer with thanksgiving. And then he says this in verse uh, 3. Let's read verse 2 again. Continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving. And then he says this. With all praying also for us. So he says while you're praying, while you're praying about everything... While you're praying about everything with thanks, with all of your praying, don't forget to pray for us. I mean, that's what that verse is saying. Paul is writing them. He said, I need your prayers. I need to know you're praying for us. So, so first of all, it's a request for continued prayer. Right? But second of all, it's a request for corporate prayer. Because he's not just a Corporate means a group. He's not just asking an individual, he's asking this church at Colossae. He's, this is an epistle written to a church. Now, a church is made up of individual members. But this epistle was written to a, a local assembly, the saints that are in Colossae. 
which was an ancient city near Laodicea. And he's saying to them, don't forget to be prayerful about everything. And when you're praying, include some thanksgiving for the things you have to be thankful for. But with all your praying, verse 3, praying also for us. It was a, it was a prayer request to a congregation. Sometimes we get requests from people uh, to our church. And they say, would you pray about this? Would you, would, you, would you ask your church to pray about this? Now, you may not see the distinction or the difference. But to me, one of the things it teaches is the importance of corporate prayer. The importance of praying together. The importance of churches lifting up their voices. And, and we find this numerous places in the Bible. So this is... So it says we're to pray together. Now, by the way, um, praying together doesn't just mean that we're together and somebody prays. Like before the sermon started, I prayed. We're all together and I prayed. But I think the, the, the thing that Paul is pleading with is when you come together, I want y'all to pray for me. You know, it's easy to sit in a, peop sit in a congregation and somebody's praying and you're just sitting there, maybe not focused, daydreaming, maybe thinking about how much uh, you would just like to have a quick nap right now, you know, those kind of things. But praying together means we're all praying together. Doesn't mean, by the way, you don't have to say your prayer out loud to pray together, but you can, in your mind, in your heart, you're thinking, I agree with that. I'm saying amen from my heart to that. And for what, some reason, I just remembered a verse of Scripture, I believe it's in the Gospel of Luke, where it says this, uh, that, that Jesus was alone praying and the disciples were with him. Just think about that phrase. Jesus was alone praying and the disciples were with him. So was Jesus completely alone? No. The disciples were with him. But he was, he was alone praying. In other words, they were with him, but he was doing the praying. And I don't think that's a compliment. It was just a statement of fact. So, so corporate prayer means that when we're together, we're praying. And we may not be praying out loud, but we're praying. And I think one of the most powerful, um, maybe the most powerful um, prayer as far as effective praying is corporate praying when the church family is praying. Together. I've said this many times in my long tenure here as pastor to people that maybe had a financial need or maybe they got a family need or whatever the case may be. And I would say, if I were you, I'd ask the church. I'd get the church on board praying about this, right? And some of you have heard me say that to you over the years at some particular point in time. So it's not only a request for continual prayer, it's a request for corporate prayer. Let's look, hold your finger here in Colossians and go to the book of Acts for a moment. I want to quickly point out a couple of examples of this. Well, first of all, let's look in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, this was a really a threatening, dangerous time for the church in Jerusalem. There was great persecution. They were, they were apprehended. Peter and John had been apprehended and and they're having to give an answer before probably the Sanhedrin uh, for what they were doing, what they were preaching. They were, they were threatened that you cannot preach or teach anymore. 
in the name of Jesus. And what are they going to do? How's the, what's their response going to be? Um, their response to their critics in verse 19 was, in Acts 4, 19, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God judge ye, but we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. Their response to their critics was, we're not going to stop witnessing just because you tell us not to. Because God has told us to do this. So we're going to do what God wants us to do. But then look in verse 23, it says, And being let go, when they were released, they went to their own company, to their church family. And they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Verse 24, And when they heard that, when they heard the report of what had been said, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And he begins, they begin to pray. They begin to pray together. They lifted up their voices in one accord, in agreement. Now, there was something about this that, you know, I think makes this response more obvious is they were being threatened. Most, most of the time, we're not being threatened, right? This church was being threatened. Their leaders are being threatened. They're, they're, they're trying to silence them. And they could have done several things, but the thing they did was they told them, we're going to obey God. Number two, they talked to God about it. And they lifted up their voices together in prayer. If you look in verse 31, at the conclusion of their prayer, it says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. God blessed their prayer meeting. They're praying together. Let me just say something to you tonight. I'm just trying to help us all. But when we come to church and we're praying together, we ought to be focused on what we're praying about. You know, we pray tonight about someone that's got a loved one that's ill. And sometimes we have a tendency not to even take it serious because it's not our mother. It's not my grandmother. It's not, but you know, it's somebody's mother. It's somebody's grandmother. And we ought to all be focused and praying and asking God. I wonder, just think about this. This is a hypothetical question. But I wonder how much more effective our praying would be if, if all of us were really focused on praying about what we're asked to pray about. Does that make sense to you? And so this is about corporate prayer. Let me look at another example in Acts, then we'll go back to our text. Go to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Talking about the trouble they were having. Here's a good example of it in Acts chapter 12. Verse 2 tells us that Herod killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Imagine that. If you get together with your church family, we're gonna have, we'll get together for a prayer meeting and somebody comes in and says, well, I've got some bad news. One of the apostles was just beheaded. That would, that would kind of get your attention, wouldn't it? I think so. And it, it pleased that to, even, to even get closer to home for some people. Verse 3 says, because... Because what happened pleased the Jews. Herod went ahead and took Peter also. Now he's got Peter locked up. Now what are we going to do? Look in verse 5. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now obviously we have no way of knowing. 
what that prayer meeting was like, how many people took it serious. But I think it was a pretty serious prayer meeting. Peter's locked up. John's dead. Or James is dead. Peter's locked up. So they began to pray. And, of course, God heard their prayer and answered in, in a miraculous way. Look in verse 12, though. It says this, And when he had considered the thing, this was Peter, after Peter was miraculously delivered, it says, When he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So they're praying. They're praying for Peter's deliverance. And you know what? God heard their prayer. And God answered. We're talking about corporate prayer. <coughs> corporate prayer, group prayer, is an essential part of, of really of church belonging, church membership. We pray together. It's a privilege. We pray together. That's one of the reasons we, why we have, and it's so much uh, more feasible during this day of technology that we can send out prayer requests to our church family just instantly, you know, and people can pray and say, I'm on board, I'm praying with you about this. It's a good thing. We pray together. So it's not just being together while someone prays, it's praying together, seeking the Lord together, uniting our hearts, uniting our faith. By the way, and this is not really what this message is about, but there are very few things that can really... Um, help us to diagnose where we are spiritually than our prayer life. Because we can't really pray and seek God and get a hold of God and communicate with God if there are things in our life that aren't right. I mean, we can come to church. Church, sometimes people struggle with coming. But you can come to church and be, and be all bent out of shape with your friends, your wife, your husband, whatever. You can still come to church, right? But you can't, you can't seek God earnestly and not be right with God. Right, so prayer is a good thing. It's a good thing for us, and it's a good thing for others. And we need to take it seriously. You know, um, it's been said often, and it's true. If you were to, if you were to say we're going to have a, we're going to have a covered dish lunch, and we're all going to come together, and we're going to eat, we're going to, and we're going to provide some brisket, and you bring the sides. You know what? Unless there's a really a bad timing, you're gonna have a pretty good turnout. People like to eat, right? But if you say we're gonna have a group of people get together and we're gonna pray for 30 minutes or an hour, see how many people show up, right? And I'm not I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm I'm mean whether I say it or not. I'm just I'm just saying it because it's true. So this was a request for corporate prayer. But let's go back to Colossians 4. And well, let's notice at the specific things that Paul was asking this church to pray for. He, it was a request, but it wasn't just say, pray for me. It was a request that included some specific needs. So let's look at that in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3. With all, praying also for us, here's the request, that God would open unto us a door of utterance. To speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Paul was writing this from Rome. When it says he's in bonds, he was in prison in Rome. He's writing this from Rome. He says, I want to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. And the sentence continues into verse 4. That I may make it manifest is all to speak. So his 
specific requests had nothing to do with his financial needs, had nothing to do with um, the persecution he was facing, had nothing to do with the discomfort he had in a Roman prison. His requests had to do with his communication of the gospel. With, and, and everything about that request, he says in verse 3, that God would open unto us a door of utterance. Now God opens doors, right? And the church, the church in Philadelphia in Revelation we see where Jesus said, that he can open a door that no man can close, and he can close a door that no man can open, obviously. God opens doors. Now I want to make an application tonight about missions. Our missions conference starts Sunday night or Sunday morning. But who is it that opens doors, opens doors of countries, open doors of opportunity? It's God that opens doors. And he says, pray that God would open up doors of utterance. So God not only opens doors, but he also opens mouths. He said, I, I want you to pray for me that I will have an open opportunity to speak. Utterance is words. I wanna, he opens doors of utterance or opens doors of speech. So God opens opportunity doors. He opens, you know, we need for God to... I'll come to this in a moment. We need for God to help us to open our mouths and speak when we ought to speak. God opens doors of opportunity, opens our mouths. Sometimes it takes, and it takes God, by the way, to open people's eyes. Their eyes are blinded. They don't see their need. God has to open their eyes. And God also opens people's hearts, makes their heart receptive. Many of us could say we've seen that happen in our own life. How all of a sudden God began to work in our life and our hearts became more open and receptive to spiritual things. God does that. Paul says, open, pray for me. Pray for me and pray for me. He was in jail, but as you know from the uh, epistles and the book of Acts, he often had opportunity for people to come and go and to teach them and have Bible studies. Not All of them weren't, weren't even believers, but he would present the gospel to them. Especially in Rome, the Jewish believers would come to him and they were curious about him. And he would preach to them in there in his, in his uh, head, wherever he was held, uh, in jail. And he would, he would speak to them. So he says there, look, look, look at that uh, language in verse 3. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Now why would he call the... The, the gospel a mystery because it's hidden. It's hidden from the lost. There are, that's why First uh, Corinthians 4 says, or 2 Corinthians 4 says, their, their my, uh, eyes are blinded, their minds are blinded. The, the God of this world had blinded the eyes of them, the minds of them, lest they would believe. It takes God to open people's eyes. And he said, I'm, I want you to pray that God would, the things that have been hidden, that God would make manifest. He continues Verse 4 says that very thing, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. I, won't, I pray that when I'm speaking, God would take this great mystery of the gospel and make it real to people. Now, just think with me for a moment tonight. Paul, I think we'd agree, Paul knew a lot about the communication of the gospel, what it takes to reach a person's soul. If Paul was interested in praying for this 
for this help from God as he was preaching and teaching, wouldn't it make sense that we need the same kind of help? Wouldn't it make sense that our missionaries need the same kind of help? That God would work and God would open eyes. You know, there, there are things that are clearly included in this request. First one is that he said, I want to make the message understandable. That's, look, look what he says, verse 4, that, it, that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. I want to speak in words that will help people understand the gospel. And we, I would probably think, well, Paul is... You know, a gifted communicator, surely if anybody can communicate the gospel, Paul could. Paul said, I need you to pray for me. That I could communicate the truth in a way that's understandable. And it also includes this implication that, that God would bless the message with his power working in people's lives, revealing truth to people. So this, was, this idea of him requesting prayers for this specific thing is a recurring request. Um, let's look for, for a moment back to the left a little bit uh, to Ephesians. If you're there in Colossians, go to the left to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to look at a couple of examples of this. Ephesians chapter 6, a different letter to a different church. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. He's, as you know, in the book of Ephesus, he covers a lot of different subjects. But look in chapter 6 and verse uh, 18. This is a part of the, what we call the arm, spiritual armor, the armor of God. Eight, verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, praying for one another, praying for the brethren, the saints, verse 19, and for me. While you're praying for these other things, he says, pray for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein, in chains, in bonds, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I don't think Paul was just, just saying these things. I don't think he was just trying to sound spiritual. I think he really felt the need for people to pray for him, don't you? Earnestly asking them to pray. He wrote the church in Thessalonica in chapter 5 of the first epistle, Brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians. That's going to be to your right. Just past Colossians, you have first and second Thessalonians. In Second Thessalonians, notice here's another church. So we've talked about the church at Ephesus, the church at Colossae. Now we have the church in Thessalonica. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse one. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. He wasn't he wasn't talking about his ministry to the Thessalonians, he's writing the Thessalonians to say, wherever I go, I want you to pray for me, that God would open doors, that God would give me boldness. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in chapter 1, he says, you also helping together by prayer for us. He was thanking the church at Corinth for praying for them in him in his travels. 
He wrote to the Romans that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Imagine this. To the Colossians, to the Ephesians, to the Thessalonians, to the Corinthians, to the Romans. All of those he said, please keep praying for me. I need you to pray for me. He's traveling around the world, starting churches, facing persecution. And he, he, but Paul knew he needed God's help. He needed God's help. It takes God to get the message out to others, doesn't it? It takes God. And then it takes God, once the message is out, to open the eyes of the people that are hearing the message. And then it takes God's power to convert a lost soul. It's all the work of God. Every bit of it's the work of God. And if we, as a church, or we as individuals, don't recognize that God helps in answer to prayer, then we're not going to be praying like we ought to. I mean, we ought to earn, what if everybody in this room, and maybe everybody does this as consistently and diligently as God would have us to, but maybe not. What if every one of us would say, I'm going to start really praying more, praying for our ministries, praying for our missionaries, pray for the gospel to go forth, praying as we give a gospel track out that God would work in that person's heart. And sometimes we may tend to think, you know, well, I've given out, I've taken a moment, I've given a person a gospel track, I've shared a word of testimony, I've done my job. Well, Paul felt like we haven't done our job unless we're praying for God to open their eyes and work in their heart and give them understanding. So Paul is, I'm back in Colossians chapter 4. Paul is speaking to these people as he's writing about the importance of praying, continuing prayer. In verse 3, with all pray for us that God would open the doors. We need God to help. We need God to work. But then it's interesting in verses of, um, 5 and 6, he kind of stays on the same subject but, but sort of segues into something else. And look at what he said in verse 5. Walk in wisdom, he says to the church there in Colossae. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Now those that are without, in the sense that's used here, means those that are outside of Christ. Those are not in the church, they're not part of the family of God. They walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Verse 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer every man. Now, notice, remember in verse 4 he said, Pray for me that I might speak as I ought to speak. And in verse 6 he says, You need to be speaking also. And that you may know how you ought to speak to every man. So he reminds these believers that he's not the only one that needs God's help. They also need God's help. They also need to say the words that they need to say. Those that are without, those outside of Christ. By the way, this is such a good reminder. We're to walk in wisdom before them. It matters how we live before the unsaved community. We ought to walk in wisdom. We ought to be aware of how we're living and what we're saying and the way we're behaving. Redeeming the time. But we also ought to be cautious with our words. When I'm reading about Paul there in verses uh, three and four about how he wanted to be careful pray for me because I want I want my words to be right I want to make it as clear as I can I need for God to help me but then he says to them he says you need to also be cautious with your words be careful about what you say 
That's our responsibility, communicating truth, giving out people the gospel. And so in a sense, we need the same thing Paul need. We need God's help. We need God's help that we might present the message in a way that is understood. First of all, we need God's help that we just might present the message. We ought to look for opportunities to witness, to share our faith, to, to give out the gospel. But we ought to also be aware that we need to we want to say the right thing. We want God to help us to say the right thing. But we also need God's power to take our testimony, our witness seriously. You know, I was in uh, Brunswick, uh, Maine uh, last week and preached um, five times while I was there, but three times on Sunday. But Sunday morning during the main worship service, there was, there was a, a family of at least three people, I'm thinking, first-time visitors. They've never been in the door before. When someone got to talk to them about why they came, they came because one of them had been in a doctor's situation or hospital, and one of the ladies in the church there had walked, talked to them and witnessed to them, invited them to church. And on this day, because of their witness and their testimony, they came to church. They wanted, you know what? We never know who might we might be talking with, conversing with, spending time with at work or whatever the case may be. But God wants to use us to make a difference. And so we need, I take away from this that we need the same power and the same prayer that Paul needed. We, Paul said pray for us. And we ought to pray for our missionaries. We ought to also pray for one another. And by the way, I'm not going to spend the time on this, but if you'd go through all these letters of Paul, you'd find that Paul often said to them, I'm praying for you. Right? He was praying for the Philippians. He's praying, praying that God would help them. In chapter 4 there, I just want to briefly mention this. Look down in verse 12. Because this has to do with the subject of prayer. Chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you. We're in Colossians 4.12. Epaphras, who's mentioned also in chapter 1 who is one of you. In other words, he was from this area. He belonged to those people. They had a relationship with him. Saluteth you. So Paul's writing, try to follow me. Paul's writing the Colossians, and he said, Epaphras, who is one of you, salutes you. That's another word of saying, way of saying, he sends his greeting. So what does that tell us about where Epaphras was at that time? He was with Paul. Paul was writing from Roman jail. Epaphras is with him. He says, Epaphras sends his greeting. He, he's, he saluteth you. Now look there in verse 12. Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Now Epaphras was from Colossae. He was in Rome. He was with Paul. And Paul says, I just want you to know that Epaphras is always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God goes on to say in verse 13 for I bear him record talking about Epaphras that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis so Epaphras was praying for them Epaphras was earnestly praying so you see all of this relationship Paul Paul is writing to Colossians. He says, please pray for me. I need God's help. And he said, by the way, Epaphras, you, you wouldn't believe how Epaphras prays for you, how often he prays for you. 
and asking God to bless you and help you. So, you know, I say all of that because the Bible says it, but I also say it because church prayer meetings are not always taken as seriously, I think, as they should. I mean, by that, I mean we ought to be praying together. We shouldn't be just sitting and thinking about other things. We ought to be praying together. And in summaries, we kind of wrap this up in summary. Um, first of all, pr- we need to pray that God would open doors. That God would open doors. That God would open people's hearts. That God would open people's minds. And God has his own way of doing that, right? God has his own way of doing that. He, I, I know how he worked in my life. He created circumstances that began to make me realize that where, I, where I was and where I was going was not a good place. And, and for me to start thinking about God, that's a pretty big step for me. But you know what? God was working in my life, and God used people to intervene, to help us. God would, that God would open doors, doors of ministry, you know. This, uh, this COVID situation has closed more ministry doors than maybe anything the world has ever seen. How many, I mean, we were in three jails on a regular basis, weekly, bi-weekly, and hadn't been in those jails and since it started. All those people were hearing the gospel. And it would be easy for us, I'm not saying this to be harsh, but it would be easy for us to just kind of forget about that. But, you know, there's a door that's been closed. And we can think of a lot of other missionaries who are stranded in America who cannot get back to their... We're talking about hundreds of missionaries, maybe thousands. Many that we know personally. That we support financially. And they're just looking for the day when they can get back to the place that God's called them. We need to pray that God would open doors. You know, God could do that. And not just... Just sort of take it for granted. Well, God's sovereign. God's going to do what God wants to do. But we ought to be praying about God's will. For God to open doors. And then for those who are taking the gospel. Whether it's, whether it's you or me. Or people that we know personally in our church. Or people in, in mission fields around the world. That they would be able to make the gospel as clear as possible those that hear and there's so many so many practical ways that's important you know you we've heard missionaries we may hear it again this week next week but we've heard missionaries stand here uh, before our church and say they'll go to a community and they'll begin to preach the gospel maybe a latin american community maybe in africa they'll begin to preach the gospel and people already have religion and you preach jesus as the savior they The tendency is just to add Jesus to their whole belief system that they already have. But the belief system they have is a false system. It doesn't need Jesus added. It needs to be abandoned and put Jesus in life as the focus. But it takes God to open people's eyes. There are people who sit in our services. And I'm not the judge of who's saved or who's not. But there's people who sit in our services. And it wouldn't surprise me. They hear a lot of sermons, but they're not really saved. They've never really been born again. There's never been a real change in their life spiritually. And yet they respectfully listen. But I'll tell you, 
It takes God to open people's eyes. And we've seen this over the years when somebody that we thought would, sure, well, they must be saved. They come to church all the time and they, they act like they know the Lord. They're faithful. And yet all of a sudden their eyes will be open. They'll see, I'm not even saved. God has to do that. And if, you, and if you can't think of a way to make this practical in your life, other than this, apply it in this way I'm speaking of. We ought to pray every time we meet, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that God would work in people's hearts, that God's word would work in people's hearts, that they could see the truth, their eyes could be open, their hearts could be open, there would be conviction. That we ought to want... We want the, the mystery of the gospel that's hidden from people's eyes to be revealed. And only God can do that. This is what we're doing in preaching the gospel. When I'm saying preaching the gospel, I'm not talking about what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm preaching. But the word preach in the New Testament many times is not talking about standing behind a pulpit and, and declaring truth. It's preaching as a as a witness, as a testimony, talking to another person. They went everywhere preaching the gospel. It's spiritual work. It's spiritual work. That's why the devil hates it. It's spiritual work. That's why he might have to make us timid and afraid and, and whatever the case may be. We need, and so we ought to bathe those things in prayer. God, use us. Use us to explain the gospel in a way that's understood and open people's hearts, open their minds, help them to see. And you know what? God can do that. God's able to do that. We've seen him do it many times. Amen? He's able to do that. So, so Paul, this would be the title of the lesson taken from the third verse. Praying also for us. He said, he said don't stop praying. Pray continually. But when you're praying, pray for us. And we ought to be praying for others. Amen? They had people praying for them. He said, you pray for me, Epaphras is praying for you. You can't pray too much, and you can't have too much prayer. More than once in my life, and I just say this because of how encouraging it is to me, more than once, I remember the very first time it ever happened many, many years ago, I was at a church in Texas, and a man that I did not know said, Brother Smith, I want you to know I pray for you every day. Man, that was encouragement to my heart. And I've had other people say that. And sometimes I feel guilty that I'm not praying for them, but they're praying for us. But the point is, we ought to be people of prayer. Now, would you do this tonight as we wrap this up? Would you personalize this? Would you make this a part of your own thinking tonight? How about my prayer life? I mean, everybody thinks I ought to be praying, and you're right. But what about my prayer life? Am I praying for other Am I praying... Not just saying, Lord, bless our church, but praying specifically. This was a specific request. Pray that a door of utterance would be opened, that I might be able to present the gospel in a way, the mystery of Christ, that people may be able to hear it and see it, and it might be made manifest unto them. Would you make that a personal thing? Am I... Am I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put you on the spot by asking you this publicly, to, to respond publicly, but just ask yourself privately. Does this, does this reflect the kind of praying I do? Am I praying for those who are in the gospel ministry? Am I praying for missionaries that God would open doors? That God would open hearts? 
Am I praying for other people in the church that God would use them? Am I praying for our services that God would work in our services, His Word would work? And if, and if you'd have to say, you know, I'm really not doing that as regularly as I should, but let's, let's make a commitment tonight. God, help me. I think that's why we have these things in the Bible as a reminder from God. It wouldn't surprise me if when we get to heaven we find out that this great resource of prayer that could have opened eyes and broken through upon people that we've that we missed a lot of opportunities. And what you could say, well, God, if God's going to do it, why wouldn't God just do it? Because God is God and he's chosen to do things in answer to our prayer. Right? It's true. Let's pray together, all right? Father, we've covered a, new, a number of aspects of prayer tonight, as you know, and and Father, so many things I think are practical, just the way we individually engage our faith, our interest in times of prayer. Father, we don't want to be guilty of just daydreaming or um, just putting our mind in neutral. Lord, we want to pray together, even tonight, we want to pray together that you would Teach us not just what you expect of us, but how to make this real in our life. Let us see the opportunities to pray for you to work in our country, in our community, in our families, in our own lives. Father, for our missionaries, we just think about the great work of the missionaries that are taking the gospel around the world and some places very challenging difficult circumstances father i i want to be more faithful standing in the gap and praying for these families and for their ministries and for you to work in the lives of people and for them to have the words to say in your power father help us as a church as we have our minds on our missions conference coming up Sunday, God, would you use this missions conference to make us more aware, not just aware, but more involved in learning and praying and trusting by faith for you to work. 